0: Thank you. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, Emerging Perspectives on People, Process, and Profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood.
1: Hi, Olivia here. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. So today I'll be exploring our immunity to change. What a powerful topic. And my guest is David Zeitler. David is founder and president of Zeitler Executive Dynamics. An executive coaching firm with a focus on sustainable leadership transformation. He also serves as director of coaching for Minds at Work, an organization started by Robert Kagan and Lisa Leahy to support their cutting-edge research around change and how to make it last. So, David, welcome to Quantum Business Insights.
2: Thank you for having me, Olivia. It's great to be here.
1: Great. So. To get started, it seems like companies are being forced to constantly adapt just to keep up with the latest technology and pressures from global competition, and I know many organizations that have spent millions of dollars on change management efforts, but the results have been at least underwhelming, at least, Um, and where where I've seen it succeed is where the management team works on change on a personal level. You could even call it personal growth. Um, but it can be extremely difficult for people to change. And this is where I think your concept of immunity to change is relevant. So what I'd like to explore is why is change so difficult for some people and what can we do to make it easier?
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, so we're we're starting with a small topic, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is, it's, it's it's a daunting task to note that there is so much money or it's, it's a daunting, I guess, challenge to note that there's all this money being spent and the changes that are hoped for are not sticky. Mm. So that, um, you know, year in and year out, folks will go through a performance review, for example. And um, these are often very meaningful experiences for the people going through them on both sides of the table. Um, they can even get emotional um, and the, the, the dedication to make changes is palpable in these meetings. I know I've kind of, you know, I've been through them and, and uh, I've experienced the, the same, what happens the next year where, you know, here we go again. It's the same uh, performance uh, improvement challenges that I faced the year before.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so, and this is a common story. And what, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy uh, decided to do in, in the, the face of this challenge was to take their wisdom from decades of adult uh, developmental psychology and adult learning theory and bring it to bear on these gaps in, um, in changes, in this, this specifically this stickiness and change. And so they decided to focus – on what uh, Ron Heifetz, um, who wrote a book called Adaptive Leadership, uh, what he calls the difference between adaptive changes and technical changes. Mm. And so, you know, a technical change is a change where you yourself do not need to change in order to make the change happen.
1: Uh. Um,
2: And whereas an adaptive change is a change where you also need to change even as you are attempting to make uh, the changes that you know are going to get you or your business or your team or your department to the next level.
1: So let me make sure I understand. So a technical change might be that I do something differently, but it doesn't require much from me or just maybe it's something I'm already capable of because it's not where I have to change. Is that accurate?
2: That's very accurate, yes. So for example, let's say you work for a global corporation and you are promoted and in your promotion, you realize that you're going to have to be going back and forth uh to France. Let's choose a nice location in this example. So you got to go to Paris. You're going from New York to Paris and you don't know how to speak French. And so you decide to get any one of the many language programs out there or maybe you hire a teacher and you learn to speak French because you know it's going to be good for business. That's a That would be a technical change because even though it's it might, it might be difficult to do um, – you don't have to change your orientation to who you are, or what's meaningful, or what is important, or, or uh, you know, what is the most valuable thing for me to be doing. You don't need to change that in order to make, uh, in order to make that happen. You will probably be able to learn French, and you'll probably have a much better time in Paris when you do so.
1: Okay, I got you. Thank you.
2: But, you know, on the other side, let's say that, and this is a very common example. Let's say that. You are promoted and uh, you are now called to delegate. So let's say you're a sales representative and you are a superstar when it comes to sales. You're personable. You know how to reach out to people. You know how to connect with them. And because of all your success, you get promoted. So this is the typical example of – you know there's a title of that book. What got you here won't get you there. And now you're at this new level where the skill set that made you – a superstar when it came to sales are now, it's difficult for you to employ that same skill set when you are called to delegate tasks to a team. It's a different set of skills that requires you to change. Oftentimes, it will require that individual to change how they relate to people. It's difficult sometimes for a person who is so good at sales to now start risking whether or not the team is behind them, whether or not the team is likes them to the point where they can effectively get the job done. A lot of times, there will be a kind of a lingering worry that uh, if I'm not liked, then my team is not going to do the good job that I need them to do. And so that becomes an adaptive challenge to that manager.
1: Wow. You know, I had a similar experience, believe it or not. I wasn't in sales, but I was hired early in my in my, uh, an analyst career, I guess you'd say as a working with, as a data analyst and I did great work and then they promoted me to manage the team and I didn't have a clue. I had never had that experience and I panicked, right? I probably <laughs> yeah. didn't do my best and I sought out HR to send me to training because I also figured out that that was the only thing I needed those skills to actually advance my career. But it was difficult. I remember that. And I I realized that company was very profitable, but they were still pretty small or a young company. And I, yeah, so I think a lot of companies don't understand that transition to being a manager and how that just takes a whole different set of skills. And if you're not used to it or naturally comfortable with it, it really does require that adaptive change.
2: Exactly. It's, I mean, Adaptive change isn't always required. Sometimes, you know, you, you might have someone who's just a s- sort of superstar in all areas and they won't experience that as an adaptive change. But for most people, changing that 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 law lo- that kind of change where where it's a whole different skill set that puts you maybe uh, at risk for coming up to your edge, the, the edge of your mindset, so to speak, um, and at the edges of our mindset, that's where we face these adaptive challenges. We need to adapt to a different kind of mindset in order to be able to meet those, uh, those change challenges.
1: Wow, that's great. So tell me a little bit about the techniques that you propose that might help someone with adaptive change
2: yeah um well, I mean I've sort of spent the, the many years now um, supporting and promoting immunity to change, so that would certainly be the method that i would uh that I would advocate for, and you know it's a it's a process that is at once a kind of – it's an event in one sense because it starts with the creation of something that we call an immunity map. Mm. And an immunity map is um, – you can do it in anywhere between one and two hours, and these have been done around the world with thousands, tens of thousands of people at this point have created immunity maps. Uh, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy have been uh, running workshops, uh, train-the-trainer workshops for many years now, and uh, starting in about the the early 2000s. And – What you do in that workshop is you identify a goal that's very important to you and oftentimes because this is done in the context of work, um, what you're identifying is a professional goal. Sometimes they recommend you actually do look at a performance improvement program or a yearly performance review and you can sort of draw your goal from that. but the key is that it's it's very important. It's one of it's one of the big rocks, as they say. That mm. uh, you got you know getting those big rocks in there first is important. I mean, we all know what happens if you know you have a hundred emails and the most significant things that are on your plate. You kind of push it off. You're like, well, I'll just answer these hundred emails, and and then when I'm when I'm clear. And, <laughs> And I have you know I have enough clarity and space. Then I'll bring in you know this very significant thing that needs to be done. And it's very it's seductive to for us to believe that that will work. But uh, one of the things we find is that an an adaptive kind of what we call a psychological immune system is is this way of protecting ourselves that keeps us from having to make adaptive changes. And that's one of the ways that we can push that, that big rock off as we convince ourselves that these little things are kind of more important.
1: So it's and really so, a method for avoidance, it sounds like. <laughs>
2: or, and it would be
1: unconscious, <laughs> right?
2: Yes, exactly. And, and you know that word unconscious, we actually use that term. We say that, one, that there's a sequence in which someone surfaces the thing that's holding them back from making an important change. This is a change that is very important to them. So in a sense, when it comes to an adaptive challenge, we all start out unconsciously immune. Mm-hmm. We are not conscious of the fact that we are in fact engaging in all of these very, very useful and, uh, and intelligent, you might say, ways of protecting ourselves from having to engage in adaptive change. So this map that I was mentioning, it starts by getting uh, the the person to agree. Yeah, this is a change. that's very important to me. And then you sort of go and th- go through a set of behaviors that are taking the person away from that change. So this might be an example of one of those behaviors. If uh, I was working with you know an immunity to change coach, I might say, Yeah, I have this very significant. Uh, thing that I need to work on, which is to delegate. But instead of delegating, I kind of answer all my emails first, and then before I know it, it's five thirty, and my team has already gone home. So that might okay. be you know behavior that I would say this is taking me away from my goal that I need to delegate for. Um, uh-huh. So that that right there, that's that's two steps in what is actually a, a multi-step process. But that's that people are very familiar with mm-hmm. because what happens usually at that point is that a, a coach or a trainer or a mentor, or someone from HR will say, okay, great, this is good. We've identified the behavior that's getting in the way. Now, let's create a set of behaviors that do the opposite of that because that is how we can make the change happen. I so see. that's what we call the traditional change approach. And that is something that does work when it comes to technical changes. Hmm. So we, we always say, at Minds at work, uh, we say, if you can make a a change happen through technical means, you should always do it Mm -hmm. because that is by far the most cost effective way of making change happen. But if you're trying to make adaptive changes and you are meeting those adaptive challenges with these technical change approaches, then you are very much wasting money because that's just not going to work prescribing a set of behaviors that just go to the opposite of the behaviors that are taking you away from your goal, it just doesn't work. It might work for like a couple of weeks but inevitably the gravity of – Uh, of your current mindset will sort of pull you back into old behavior patterns. And this is in fact what you see in case studies um, uh, from the business world.
1: So this is sort of the nature of what traditional change management has been doing for years is what you're saying, or most (laughs) of it.
2: I I mean, I, I don't want to suggest that that's all they've been doing. (laughs) There's certainly been, you know, there's certainly been good approaches to change, but Mm -hmm. I think, I think the generalization That there is a difference between technical and adaptive changes and that many times uh, leaders are attempting to make adaptive changes happen through technical means. I think that's true. I think that what you said is true insofar as that is happening.
1: So would the method perhaps be – that you try the technical and then once you see that those aren't working then you know you're dealing with something adaptive and you want to dig in and use yeah. the method okay yeah
2: more, more and more and more um, and that, that's that's sort of one way the other way is that you know you're interested you have this leadership team for example and this is the other thing that we have uh, done I mean in my own business as well as in my work um with Minds at Work is that you have A group of people that are thoroughbreds in the organization and they need more tools in order to become superstars. So they're sort of on this fast track and part of their leadership development program will be going through the immunity to change process because it's this proven method of transforming people, of getting people from whatever mindset they are at into their next mindset.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So that's,
2: that's the two main ways that that this uh, uh, approach has been used. But I feel a little bit like I I left a I left like a, a hanging thread there. I left people hanging a little. I'm I'm thinking about your listeners now, and I'm you know I want to go back if that's all right with you to this to this place this difference between um, the kind of traditional change approach and then what makes immunity to change different.
1: Sure. Yeah. Why don't you do that?
2: Okay. Great. Thanks. So. The traditional change approach would be just, you know, prescribe the new behaviors and then kind of say, all right, here you go, and then send them off on their way, and then maybe check in once every week or maybe once a day, even if it's very important and pressing. And the reason it doesn't work, as I said, is because it's usually, you know, a technical solution to an adaptive challenge. So, how do you get into the adaptive? solution to the adaptive challenge. Well, you start by taking those behaviors and generating a set of commitments to Mm -hmm. self-protection. This is where the notion of adult mindsets starts to become very important because oftentimes we have an unconscious commitment to a kind of self protection that is about something extremely important to us so let's take the example of the person who needs to delegate its you know it's a 5 out of 5 of importance on the, on a scale of 1 to 5 you know how important is this to you they might have what we call a competing commitment that well if i might also be committed to making sure that i am not disliked by my team
1: got you so and I really want to um, take more time on this but we're yeah. up on a break and okay. I think this is probably a, we'll let the listeners
2: yes. let them wait stew for a the conclusion
1: oh,
3: the,
2: <laughs> solution. Right. But, um, the solution is coming
1: yeah because this is I think the meat of it or the really juicy yeah. part that I think is so fun I wouldn't want to have to break it in a okay. inappropriate place so um, stay tuned everybody my guest is David Zeitler and we'll be back in a few minutes
3: Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Dr. Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, I'm Olivia,
1: and I'm here with my guest, David Zeitler, an expert in the immunity to change process. And before the break, we were talking about how do you get into really making adaptive change? And we have a step where you make a list of commitments to self protection that we may not even be aware of until we start to really think about them and looking for ways to see if they are actually competing with this commitment to address the change we want to make. So, David, please continue.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so it's, you know, we don't normally think about the ways. That we ourselves might be, you know, inhibiting the changes that we want to make. It's, you know, it's a little bit unpalatable, and you know, it, it in a sense it, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us to think in that way. And the reason that, you know, according to immunity change, the reason it doesn't make sense is because we we have these unconscious commitments. And so one of the things that we do in this, you know, this first step, which is the creation of this map, is to surface the psychological immune system. Um, we want to know, okay, if there is a change that is very difficult for someone to make and it's very important to them, chances are that there might be something adaptive happening. So let's see what we can find. And we take them through these steps. And as you were saying, we, we eventually get to this place where we generate a couple of what we call competing commitments. And and I think the example I gave was so if my goal is to be a better delegator, to delegate more uh, to my team, then a competing commitment might be I might also be committed to making sure that I am not disliked by the members of my team. Mm-hmm. And, and what this usually does for people is they actually get a sense of relief because, uh. because it helps them make sense of why this change has been so difficult for them. Right. And, and the reason it does that is because you can see how you know, you have one foot on the gas, which is your, your goal, but then you also have one foot on the brake. And that's, you know, that's not a car that is standing still. That is a car that is not moving, but it is, in a sense, shaking with energy. There's a lot of energy, but that energy is not being used to move the car forwards. And And the reason is because the brake is on, this competing commitment.
1: Got you. So isn't there some statistic also that – some high percentage of our behavior is not conscious or unconscious.
2: It's- yeah, I mean, it's there's there's a whole there's a whole field about that. I mean, the the most famous touch point I think for most people is um, is Malcolm Gladwell's book. I think it was Blink, where mm-hmm. he talks about uh, how how much of our processing, our mental processing, operates in an unconscious fashion, and um, you know, there's even some good. Uh, some good research by a fellow named Hugh that I it's, I learned how to pronounce his name, but it's spelled D J I K S T E R H U I S. I think is how you spell his name. Which that there's this kind of optimal window within which we can we can use our unconscious mental processing uh, very optimally, but that below that. Below the number of data points and above the number of data points, we're better off using conscious processing. So there is a kind of sweet spot of unconscious processing that we kind of all engage in. You know, we don't think about moving our legs, for example. We just kind of, you know, our legs move. Uh, We don't have to consciously consider that. But um, but it's it's similar to you know the way this kind of relates to immunity change is that our unconscious processing by you know not being available to our conscious awareness the reason why that this system isn't uh, always available for us to operate upon is because it is defining the edge of our development and in fact Becoming aware and attending to the edge of our own growth and development is one of the things that is sort of required for continuing to grow and change in 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 the sense of quantum leaps, to use you know, a phrase that I know you are familiar with and have affinity for. <laughs> yes. So so what we what we find is that underneath this immune system, this psychological immune system, are a set of what we call big assumptions and that if you work on the big assumptions, the immune system becomes unimportant. That's the best way that I can put it, that the way you can finally overcome an adaptive challenge and start making those goals happen is by undoing the source of the immune system. Right. And so those big assumptions, we generate those big assumptions from the competing commitments. So it's really this this very... There's, there's something very beautiful about how we surface these immune systems. And then, you know, skipping to kind of fast forwarding to the end, the changes that I've seen in people are just, I mean, they're tremendous. I, I feel blessed and honored to be sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with people who are on these journeys that are so important.
1: Well, and I think it'd be fun to share with our listeners that I went through this process with you. Right? Oh, yes, (laughs) that's right. So, so my commitment, my edge was to share more of my research and passion for the human side of business. Mm -hmm. And I'm known mainly in the industry for my work around data analysis and predictive modeling and big data. So my, so what I uncovered in this process was Uh, competing competing commitment to keep that safe, that there would be a risk to my survival perhaps, Mm -hmm. since I still earn a lot of my living wages, um, doing data analysis, that, that might, for some reason, uh, disappear, you know, that I would lose my
2: credibility or whatever. Right, there, yeah, there it is. Uh, I would lose my credibility. That's, that sort of captures everything I think you just said.
1: Yeah, and so, by actually speaking to it having it uh unveiled to me, and then saying, "Oh, I get it, okay, so that's interesting, but it's probably not that realistic and <laughs> you know, and then um we'll get into the next steps, but by by continuing the process, the to change process, so here I am, I'm now sharing yes. my interest <laughs> <laughs> live and in person um because um, of having gone through this process, so yeah, um, so. so Please continue. Well,
2: I, I, I'm just I'm very touched that um, that you would suggest that our work had something to do with what you're doing now. But I I think that's you know that's if it did then I'm I do feel you know once again here I am honored and blessed you know to be publicly sharing uh, with you in this manner. So thank you for that.
3: Oh, um, but yeah,
2: as you as you as you said, it's the mapping is really just the beginning. The the, the process itself or the methodology. So that's you know the, the first part is an event and the event is create a map. Mm-hmm. And then then the the next part is taking the map and then using it. Using it to gain insight. And so we have this insight phase that we go through in the coaching arc. And then the second phase of the coaching arc is action. So I, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of argument about who came up with this quote. Some people say it's from Immanuel Kant and some people say that no, it's just sort of nobody really knows. But, but everybody's heard some version of it, which is that uh, insight without action uh, is impotent and action without insight is blind.
1: Well, yeah. You know? And, and, the, and the unconscious piece being uh, brought to consciousness, I guess, is the insight. Right. Exactly,
2: okay. exactly. So the insight phase is really – it begins with the event of creating this immunity map and then the first half of the coaching arc is, all right, let's look at this map and this – in particular, let's identify this you know one or two or sometimes three big assumptions, then look at which one is most important for supporting the psychological immune system and then we get clarity. We go – sometimes we go into the history of it. Sometimes we go into the – the forward progress of what it would look like if it was not present in one's life. And then we start the self-observation phase, uh, phase. So it's really uh, a lot. There's a lot of mindfulness, um, uh, exercises that mm-hmm. we engage in, uh, in this insight phase. And as soon as, you know, one of the things that we, we never want the, um, the perfect to the, be the enemy of the good in immunity to change coaching. So, you know, whereas, you know, I found some other methods where there's just, you know, I felt like, all right, let's let's you know, let's get going. You know, it's messy. You know, actual mm-hmm. actual psychological development, actual change, when it comes to adaptive change, is messy. Mm-hmm. And and you're throwing the tracks in front of the train, and you know, things are happening in real time, and um, and you know, it can be it can be exhilarating, and you know, you can also feel daunted at sometimes. But but you know, when it, when you get to that action phase and you can craft these these safe experiments in a way that that brings someone closer to uh, their next mindset which is really you know this is uh, you know what ken wilber calls eros you know the desire to to integrate the desire or drive to kind of become part of something larger well we ha- we all have these nascent mindsets into which we are developing and In a sense, that is this larger thing that we are drawn to be a part of. It's our own kind of future self that we want to be a part of. And so that helps sustain people as they are going through this action phase, which you know, if you propose these actions at the beginning before someone did their immunity map, that's exactly the kind of thing where they might not even feel any anxiety about it. They might say, oh, sure, I'll do that, but then not do it. Right. (laughs) It's the hundred emails. It's the, no, I got to get to these emails. Oh, did I not have time for that? Oh, well, I guess that's too bad. (laughs) But, But now that we've gone through the insight phase, all of a sudden, the importance and the reality of my big assumption that I have sort of been, you know, I'm curious now for the first time, maybe that my assumptions about what will and will not you know affect my livelihood or affect my credibility in your example or in, in my example when i first went through this it was you know this whole program is going to is going to fall apart and we're all going to have not have jobs so you know these are these are very important big assumptions that are sort of driving us and so first you make them conscious and then you gain insight around them and then you start to undo them and at the end of the process you get a radio show
1: There you go. So tell me more about, or what are these safe experiences? And I, you know, I kind of have that from my perspective, but I'd, I'd like a, you know, a general. uh, I guess this is one of the steps, right? So let's say, how would you talk about safe and uh, creating a safe experience that will take you to your next level?
2: Yeah, this is this is really where the, the 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 um. Certification and being an immunity to change coach, I think, is very important because uh, we have been trained to craft uh, safe experiments, and we kind of use it, we use the acronym SMART. There's a number of SMART acronyms in the business world. Our our SMART acronym is a safe, modest, actionable, researchable test. Oh. and and so <laughs> you know you want to you want to make sure that. Any kind of experiment that you're creating. So this is, you know, this is a little bit like. Well, <laughs> let's let me give you an example of an unsafe kind of experiment about a big assumption. Okay. So let's say you are uh, Christopher Columbus, and you believe the world is flat, and so does your crew. More importantly, your crew, and you are sailing to India, and um, uh, you're you you have not hit it, and it's been many days now. Weeks even, and you're still sailing. And the the more you sail, the more and more people's assumptions that they're going to fall off the end of a flat Earth are kind of <laughs> taking them over. I mean, mm. what a what an unsafe way to test <laughs> this assumption. <laughs> that, right. uh, that if like that I can get to India this way because you know the normal route was go around the Horn of Africa. So it, it took so long to kind of get to India from Europe by ship, that that's why, you know, that's, that's the myth anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of, you know, new evidence now about, about the, you know, the Chinese actually did it a long time before that. But, and so maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. But let's just go with the myth for now because it's an <laughs> example of, you know, this big assumption and an unsafe way of testing it. Right. So, you know, eventually they, they find land and there is the data. That's the data from this experiment that they've done that, no, they're not going to fall off the face of the earth. They're not going to fall off a two-dimensional. They're actually going to hit land and they're going to be safe.
1: So they experienced adaptive change, but it was <laughs> way more stressful than it needed to be basically.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's, a, that's an example of a very unsafe experiment. So how would I, how would I or any kind of immunity to change coach has been certified make an experiment like that but make it safe? Well – The first thing I might do is have them go talk to other explorers Mm. and say, okay, you know, well, what have, what have you done? How far out into the ocean have you gone? What did you experience out there that I can talk to you about? You know, and let's assume that they're not trying to, you know, lie to them and, you know, on all those maps they wrote, oh, here'd be monsters because they. (laughs) You know they wanted to, They wanted to keep the resources that they had discovered to themselves let so 's forget about all that, so you know, or else, and then the next step might be okay, now that you 've talked to so that that gives them a little bit of data okay i 'm not the only one who 's kind of considering this. in fact, there are all these people that I talk to who have already done this kind of thing, and they 're still here right? that 's that's the kind of important point how come How come Bob, who is so much like me, can delegate? And, and I have a problem delegating. How come he doesn't suffer the consequences that I believe are going to happen to me? So you can't run that experiment until you've surfaced your immune system and, and honed your big assumption. So now that person can maybe go and interview Bob and say, hey, you know, I'm wondering if you'll be willing to talk with me about your delegation practices and, you know, what are the challenges you face with it? And inevitably, that kind of first very safe test will will give them very good data and, and now they've, you know, it gives them confidence in continuing to sort of turn up the volume very slowly on testing. So, so you would might,
1: identify the interview as a form of a test in this model is what you're
2: saying? It's a, yeah, it's a kind of test or experiment where the goal is not to make a behavior change. The goal is for them to gather data on whether or not their big assumption is true.
1: Got it. Okay. Interesting. That's a different way of looking at it.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're I mean it's good that eventually, you know, most most immunity change coaches will near the end of the sort of experimental or testing period, will start to turn the volume up to the point where the changes uh, or the the experiments themselves have actions in them that are actually pulling them towards their goal. But until until you've Dipped down into this this mindset until you've dipped down into the mindset and revealed it and started to work on it, um, you, you know, you you just can't do that. It's it it you'll get you'll get a technical solution to adaptive change and the person will go back to their old behavior. So by by taking them through this coaching arc, they they are poised to to start. Actually, doing those behaviors that pull them towards their goal because they they have good evidence that um, their big assumption, even if it's sometimes even if it's sometimes valid, the consequences uh, that they were so worried about don't happen, or the consequences do happen and they don't care.
1: Okay, so in your example, so let's say she goes and interviews Bob and gets some data, and and if you're coaching her, you might be asking her I guess along the way do you feel like you could now create an experiment where you do a little delegating like would that be a natural progression there or
2: sure sure like i, I might have them do that first experiment where they interview someone and then you know uh, it depends on the person really and it depends on you know where are where do i think they are with this how safe actually is this experiment because mm-hmm. one of one of the one of the risks is that that i as the coach, become part of their immune system, you know, and and uh-huh. that then I am now being constructed as as threatening because I am trying to perturb or disturb this thing that has kept them safe for so long.
1: Interesting. So <laughs> we're just up on a break. I really okay. want to uh, pursue that a little bit more. So please stay tuned. I'm talking about immunity to change with David Zeitler. We'll be back in a minute.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived
3: shows everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand join Rochelle McCrary for the leader and the muse Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success for strategies, stories and much more tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon pacific time 3 p.m. eastern time for the leader and the muse and get ready to take your brand to the next level business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
0: you are tuned in to quantum business insights with olivia parr rood to reach the program with questions or comments please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com that's show at oliviagroup.com Now, back to Quantum Business Insights.
1: Hi, this is Olivia and I'm with uh, David Zeitler today. We're talking about immunity to change. And right before the break, we were talking about how we want to take incremental steps towards gathering data to, uh, figure out whether we are going to reach, to be able to, to take action in our goal. And, uh, David was saying that it's there's a risk for the coach to become, say, part of the process and maybe uh, even a crutch in a way, or something like that. Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will. And so the, basically the, the reason that you, that you tune up you, you tune up or you turn up the volume or ramp up these, the experimental phase very slowly, is because um, this we're, you know this is a, an adaptive system. So, being adaptive, the system of self protection will construct the world and possibly the coach, because the coach is, of course part of their world as being unsafe in some sense mm. and so while you while you want to make sure you 're making the changes happen when you're when you 're attempting to sort of undo or deconstruct or or help someone transform through this process it 's actually much better to go slowly it's far more um, it 's far more effective to go slowly than it is uh, to go quickly. Through a transformative process, and that is one of the reasons why the traditional change approach uh, does not work with adaptive challenges, uh, because the the attempt is to go quickly. You know, and, and we live in we live in a business world that moves at quantum speed, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> right. it's like we needed yesterday.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it's a little bit of a different, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a different angle. On what it means to be effective, what is both cost-effective in terms of HR, but but also what is um, effective for being adaptive. You know, businesses want to be flexible and nimble, and the idea that that transformation should happen slowly is is counterintuitive in some sense to a lot of leaders' positions and, and the demands of leadership. Oh, and the
1: pressures. But,
2: Yes, exactly. But, but, you know, the, the leaders who have engaged this process and gone, you know, slowly through it have, you know, been very happy uh, for the most part. You know, I haven't heard, haven't had any complaints yet, so that's good.
1: (laughs) Well, so that brings me to a question when you were saying about speed of change, and I'm reading a lot about how younger people are their, their minds are developing slow, somewhat differently because they are sort of online at a young age, and they're, they are used to technology. And have you noticed? And it may not be age, but but different uh, levels of adaptability or the speed of adaptability among people. Are there any kind of characteristics that you've noticed?
2: Wow, that's you know that's a really good question. I I, I mean I've certainly noticed. I, I, I've I've done. An immunity to change coaching arc with so many people now, and you know, literally from Main Street to Wall Street, and many different ages. Um, I think the the youngest person I've worked with was uh, 21, um, and the oldest person I've worked with uh, is in his 80s. So, so you know, I, I really have kind of had a broad range of experience with using this method, and you know, I'm always curious w- whether the differences I'm seeing. Are um, cultural, or are in some sense, you know, about uh, are they surface differences, or or are they structural differences? Um, You know, as I I came to immunity to change coaching through my research in developmental psychology in adult development, and before that, you know, I got to adult development by loving sort of Piaget and childhood development. So, you know, my my I think there's two things at work here. One is that we construct our world as much as we are receptive of our world. So there was this idea in the beginning of the 20th century you know, in, in education that children are a tabula rasa and you can just – they're a chalkboard and you write on them and they can dutifully kind of reproduce the, the, the information or behaviors or actions that you're attempting to write on this blank chalkboard.
1: No wonder I didn't like school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and Piaget really came along and said, "Wait a minute, you know this is not true. Actually, children aren't just tabula rasa. They they are constructing their world in the way that they can, as much as they are kind of receiving. So there's really this, this he called it interactionism. There's really this two way street that's always going on. So when it comes to mindsets, whether it's childhood mindsets or adult mindsets." Uh, my experience is that the mindsets themselves—you know, what what people are identified with subjectively versus what can they take as object—you know, what is in their field of awareness—that really there's very good evidence that um, that this is something universal and that we have a good kind of grasp of how subject and object play out at these different mindsets. However, what does seem to change is the content that is being put in, into the system and then used. Mm. So, for example, the process—I mean, the easiest, the easiest example for people to see is the process of socializing teenagers. I mean, around the world, socializing teenagers is not easy. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're you're attempting. Parents and and teachers are attempting to get the teenager to coordinate their needs with the needs of another. Oh, and, uh, and and not in some not in some way where it's about, you know, not a, not where it's a ruse where the other person is an object to them to a means to an end, but that in some sense the teenager starts to take the needs of the other with them wherever they go. Okay. so it 's not a kind of out of sight out of mind process, but you know they, they 're taking first you know usually a parent or mentor, but then eventually they, they start imbibing they, you know they, they in a sense drink the kool aid in the best sense they start to uh, they start to adhere by the norms of the family of the group of the country and and that 's a very important and useful process it 's it's necessary in order to transcend it, in order to get to what is now demanded of adults, which is this more self-authoring. I mean this self-authoring mindset, uh, you know, which the numbers show us, only about you know, 30% or so, 30 to 34%, depending on which meta-analysis you're looking at, of college-educated Western adults have this self-authoring mindset, have kind of fully achieved it. And yet that is the mindset that is demanded of us. So ah. it's you know it's it's a different kind of mindset. It's going to show up slightly differently. So I do see it when it comes to ages, I do see a, a difference in how, for example, you know the the twenty something clients that I've that I have been working with um, use technology to connect with others, and and how quickly they can uh, they can partake in any new technology that comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However when it comes to when it comes to needing to feel confident asking for a raise or when it comes to going from a position where they don't have to delegate to a position where they do have to delegate or when it comes to needing to learn how to listen better these are it is very similar adaptive challenges that they are facing as someone who is in their 50s.
1: Wow, so that's fascinating. I think we could do a whole show on that. So, <laughs> so But I wanted to allow, we just have a few minutes left and I wanted okay. to allow some time. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. I wonder, do, are there some tools that are available for people who may want to pursue this uh, You know, this technology, this immunity to change model?
2: Yes, I mean, first and foremost, I'll give you the two sort of least expensive least, you know, uh, commitment, uh, oriented ways of experiencing immunity to change. Um, so as luck would have it, uh, in January, in late January, um, Harvard is launching in, in association with MIT. Uh, they have created these massive open online classes and they are free of charge and, uh, it's, so if you want to get more information about that, it's uh, just Google Harvard X and then um, next to that type uh, immunity to change. So you, what you'd be doing is Harvard X, one word, immunity to change. And it's Harvard the letter X, not Harvard EX. And um, they will get, that will take you right to the sign up uh, for this free basically online course that's led by Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And um, you will be taken through the steps of uh, an immunity change system. Right now, about 30,000 people have signed up. I don't think there is a limit. So that's the easiest way. Now, you will probably have to uh, buy the book. Um, So that's available both in, in electronic format, uh, on a Kindle or a Kindle app, as well as, you know, you can get the, you can get the old school copy, uh, hard, you know, hard copy. <laughs> Which
1: us older people like. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, it's, I,
1: I like,
2: I, I like both. I mean, they have different advantages, right? Yeah, well, picture <laughs> I shorts.
1: like on the Kindle, but I, for my research, I love the, anyway. yeah,
2: yeah, for research purposes, it's hard to, it's hard to not write, write in the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then the the, the second way, um, which uh, is coming in 2014, I, I I can't say exactly when, but um, you know my my hope or I guess our hope is that it will be uh, in quarter one or quarter two of 2014, is that uh, Rob Smith, who is um, the president of Integral Life, has created a company called Chrysalis, and their focus is on an open Software platform uh, of change. So they are dedicated to to bringing change pathways, and the portal that they're using are smartphones. So it's a very wise move, I think, on his part to see that smartphones are not just a part of they're, they're not just a part of our um, you know our kind of day to day work operations. They're sort of infused in our professional and our personal lives at this point. And so they're kind of taking advantage of this trend and just making the next logical step, which is let's offer people these pathways to to change. So there's all kinds of different pathways, and immunity to change is going to be one of those paths that's available uh, through chrysalis. So there's two very 21st century uh, means to interact with uh, the immunity to change system.
1: That's amazing. Well, thanks. Well, we have about a little less than three minutes left. Um, so let me ask you: say, if somebody wanted to come to you for coaching, um, mm-hmm. what would what would be the first couple questions you might ask them?
2: Oh well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the first question I always ask is, you know, what what brought you to uh, to wanting to be coached? Got it. You know, what's what's basically, like, you know, what's going on? well it's just to have a casual conversation because usually that's you know at that point if someone is is seeking out coaching, then it usually means there is um, you know they've been they've been suffering because they 've been trying to make a change happen and it's been elusive, and that is indeed where um, that's where this method can be so powerful
1: wow well, and I remember when I worked with you the thing that was so great was your ability to kind of rule things out. So I won't get into specifics. <laughs> I can't even remember all the details. But for me to try to figure out what was my competing yeah. goal, uh, it it I thought you were just so gifted in. I'm going to use the word hammering. It's not really the right <laughs> word, but but taking me away from taking me out of my head to yeah. just be able to say this is what I'm thinking or actually what I was feeling. So. So I, I tend to overwrite things with my left brain, but because of your style, which was so effective, and I, I mean it in the most positive way, um I could then just say, here's what I'm feeling, and then when it got down to this level of fear, I don't know if I would have gotten to that if I'd stayed in my left brain and been real <laughs> you know methodical about it.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. It's um one of the things we definitely were trained in uh is the kind of empathic listening that that allows us to see when, you know, when is it most important to support, when is it most important to challenge? And that's really kind of what it comes down to. So I really appreciate that.
1: Well, my pleasure. So it looks like we're about out of time. David, thank you so much for being my guest today, and I hope you come back and visit me again.
2: Oh, I, I would love to. It's been a real pleasure. And, and, you know, of course, an honor to have worked with you in Immunity to Change. So thanks for bringing that in.
1: Oh, thank you. So next week, I'm going to be exploring how to create a culture of innovation with Mitch Ditkoff. And you really want to tune into this. Mitch is the number one ranked creativity blogger in the world in 2010 and 2011. And he's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. So be sure to tune in next week. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parrud again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.